Father, thank you for this morning. Once again, we're grateful for the Lord Jesus, and we're thankful that because of what He's done for us, we have the, the Spirit given to us freely, and we have the assurance of eternal life, and that we have all that we would need in this life to know You and to know what You have in store for us. We're grateful. We're grateful that we can trust You as our Father. We're thankful that in Your wisdom, You created the church as the bride of Christ, and You didn't save us to be individuals alone, but to be individuals who are part of the body of Christ. And we're thankful to be able to be here this morning and to receive from you good gifts like hearing from your word. And we're also thankful to be here worshiping you in response. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ever have been to London or get the chance to go to London, there's so much amazing history, you'll have to make good choices about what you'll want to see there. You may want to see the monument to Sir William Wallace. It's at St. Bartholomew's Hospital. And uh, it says this on the inscription. To the immortal memory of Sir William Wallace, Scottish patriot born at Eldersley, who from the year 1296 fought dauntlessly in defense of his country's liberty and independence in the face of fearful odds and great hardship, being eventually betrayed and captured, brought to London, and put to death near this spot on the 23rd of August, 1305. And it goes on to talk about his heroism and those sorts of things. I like that particular place because I think Braveheart was a great movie. And uh, it shows you how shallow I am in my history. But there are more significant things you'd want to see right next to there at St. Bartholomew's Hospital that I was more excited than even seeing that tribute to William Wallace. It is a tribute to the Marian martyrs. And the inscription says this, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. The noble army of martyrs praise thee. And then it says, within a few feet of this spot, John Rogers, John Bradford, John Philpot, and others, other servants of God, I'll add some 60 of them, suffered death by fire for the faith of Christ in the years 1555, 1556, and 1557. They're the Marian martyrs because it was done under the authority of Queen Mary because they believed in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If I ever get to go to Paris, uh, likewise, I want to go to many things, um, but I want to go and I want to visit St. Germain Church. Has anyone been to St. Germain Church? Some have. I want to go to St. Germain Church because I want to hear the bells. I want to hear the bells. I want to hear the awful sounding bells. Because historians tell us those bells were sounded to alert the attack that was to take place, and we would know it as St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. Kill those who affirm salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, once you hear the bells, launch the attack against the French Huguenots. History is not clear. Did 10,000 people die at St. Bartholomew's Massacre or up to 30,000 Christians die because of their faith in Christ? I would like to hear those bells. 
Now you might be thinking, what's with the pastor's strange, strange fascination? Why is he so interested in martyrs? Why does he like to go to these places? Well, the Bible says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, this is the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will what? They will be persecuted. It's one of those promises in the Bible that are important, but that we we, we actually don't like very much. But I, I like to at least understand that we stand in a long line of people. I just gave two historical examples. We could go back to Stephen in the New Testament. We could look at all of the other kinds of examples. But we stand in a long line of people who have been martyred for their trusting in Christ. We stand in a long line of people and we are the people right now who will face, if we're Christians, opposition for being Christians. And so there's something I like to know. I like to know about how, how bad some have had it. If I had to guess, I would guess we won't be martyred in mass here for our faith in Christ. But we will be, if we're Christians, persecuted. Okay, we're studying 1 Peter right now. You can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 if you'd like. But in 1 Peter, we're told that in chapter 1, verse 1, yes, we're chosen by God, we're elect of God, we belong to Him, and we have all the promises of eternal life. We're children of God, we've been adopted into the family, we're not second class, we all are belonging as inheritors in His great family. He just says elect for shorthand. But then He also goes on to say that we're, we're, we're sojourners, we're, we're foreigners, we don't really belong here. And so we're going to feel out of step and out of sync. And this isn't the new Jerusalem, as I like to say, when these things won't happen anymore. But in the meantime, even though you, if you're believing in Jesus, have more than anyone could ever have, and you're set, it's not without conflict or difficulty. And in chapter 3, he talks about being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And you may be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Think about it in terms of um, doing what's right in the eyes of God. So it might have to do with your believing in Jesus, because that's right in the eyes of God. That's good if you believe that salvation is by faith in Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You must trust in Him in order to have eternal life. That might lead to persecution. It might lead to suffering for righteousness. Some of you feel that, have felt that, will feel that. Or it might be because I belong to Jesus, now I'm called to do what's right. I'm called to agree with what He says is right. And you, you might feel it in that sense. That would be suffering for the sake of righteousness. For what's right, what's true, what God says. In comparison to what a celebrity says. What influ- influential governing authorities say. What the law might come to say against and over against you and your convictions. It might come in your marriage. It has in some of your lives. It might come in your friendships. It has in some of your lives. It might come from your kids. It has in some of your lives. It might come from your parents. It has in some of your lives. It might come from your boss or bosses or superiors or those who work for you. It has in some of your lives and will and will and will and will in some way or another. This is not the New Jerusalem. Peter an apostle of Jesus, so um, controlled by Jesus, speaking with the authority of Jesus, 
echoing Jesus. Jesus said, in this life you'll have trouble. Is helping us. And so as a pastor, I, I want to echo the words of Peter. I want to point you to the words of Peter. I want to point you to the promises regarding Jesus. Because as you experience the conflicts you are or will experience, you need to remember that you, above all people, have been blessed beyond measure, and it's worth it. It is worth whatever cost it may cost you. Because we're talking about the one who is Christ the Lord, the greatest one, the ultimate one, who's already won the ultimate battle and victory. So I'm trying to just give you the preview, the upside. But these are, these are no... These are the kind of Sundays where I think and pray, God, help me to be a pastor. I hope I, I'm always a pastor. But, but I want to help and encourage and equip and, and, and get you ready, get you through. Look to Christ, look to Christ, look to Christ, look to Christ. That's what Peter is doing here. And so I'm going to remind you this morning of things you already know to be true, no doubt. But to remind you to look to Christ and keep looking to Christ it only makes sense, even logically, that you would do that. So with those things in mind, if you would, let's go ahead, let's read the, the big section that we've been looking at the last two weeks, and we'll wrap up today. This is chapter 3, verse 13, down to the end of the chapter. And then we'll just zero in on the latter part. And I hope this is, th- th- I expect this to be the best part of the sermon. It's the text, not the pat, Right? Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to Him. The aim of that whole text that I had to use great self-control to not stop and try to unpack some details. 
in the big context, and I'm going to try to help you to keep it in the big context, is to encourage you. It's to encourage you with one big idea, and that is, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it, it's worth it. Put another way, He is worthy, He is worthy, He is worthy. Put another way, He is trustworthy, He is trustworthy, He is trustworthy. The suffering is short term. Keep looking to Christ. Keep looking to Christ. So we'll look at some complicated things in this text. But I want you to know that the point is not complicated things. It's encouragement. I was told by one commentator that I read that there are over 180 different interpretive combinations of our text. So it's going to be a long day at Omaha Bible Church. (laughs) Martin Luther said this, A wonderful text this is, is this, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. I cannot understand, and I cannot explain it. And there has been none, then there has been no one who has explained it. Let's close in prayer. We read the text. It's a great text. There's 180 different combination options. Luther says no one can explain it. We're done here. No, we're not really done here. But I, in all seriousness, I want you to keep... We're, we're, we're not going to get lost in the, in the forest. Every single person in the room, if you read the whole thing, you can say, Jesus is the victor. Believing in Jesus gets me there. Believing in Jesus is worth it. I need to remember that and I can forget about the hard stuff. We'll talk about some of the hard stuff today, but I'm not going to solve every debate. I might, I might even have you leaving with more questions than you came. But you can leave remembering, I'm going to keep trusting Jesus because He's greater than anyone who could ever apply pressure in my life in any way, shape, or form. And in the end... As one person said, is the interpretation of the book of Revelation, in the end, Jesus wins. Okay? He wins. He's already ascended. So, with that in mind, let's look a little closer at the details. We'll have some fun. uh, And I think it'll help model for you a good way to look at passages like this passage. My iPad went crazy this morning, and so I'm like the bumbling professor up here with a bunch of papers. I don't know what to do with myself. So, sorry for the distraction. If you think you're distracted, if you could only see in my mind right now, trying to sort out the papers. Let's jump in. Let's let's be encouraged by by some of the details in, in verse 19. In which, that goes back to verse 18, in which, that's in, 18 teaches us about Christ's resurrected state. As the resurrected one. Might even be looking to ascension because he's going to talk about that down in verse uh, later later on in, in 22. But for sure, a, a resurrection in which Christ as the resurrected from the dead one, that's impressive, he went. Notice it doesn't say he went down as some theology is read into it. In fact, he went, same exact Greek word is going to be translated gone in chapter 22 regarding the ascension. So it doesn't say he went down. It's not trying to say he went down. He went. He went somewhere. He went somewhere as a resurrected individual. So Christ, the resurrected one, 
not before he was resurrected when he was in the grave. Get that theology out of here. Christ, the resurrected one, went somewhere. Okay? Let's keep going, lest we never finish. And proclaimed, that's a victory speech. You proclaim something. He proclaimed, it's a victory kind of word. He proclaimed to the spirits in prison. There's a victory proclamation to those who've been in prison for doing something. I'm going to read that as when you go to prison, you do, it's because you did something bad. He went and proclaimed victory as a resurrected one to those who'd done something wrong. There were spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. Oh, I know that they did something bad because they did not obey. So there's all kinds of different understandings, but I hope I've already given you some clues how I understand it. I don't think this is when Jesus went to hell to suffer. I don't think Peter's talking about that at all. Um, Before his resurrection, because it's verse 18, as a resurrected one, by the way, that shows the victory. Resurrection actually is his his vindication. That's proof of the victory. Yes, he finished his work on the cross, but the, the resurrection is the victory. And so, as the victorious one, he made a victorious proclamation. Some people have read into this in church history. This is when he goes and gives unbelievers a second chance. He goes and evangelizes them. So everyone gets a second chance. I think we're reading way too much into that. He proclaims not the gospel. He proclaims a proclamation. It's a victory kind of word. I'm the victor. All who've ever opposed me and said, you're wrong, you're bad, we oppose you. All those, I think throughout history, because he's going to go back to Noah, what we see clearly for a suffering Christian who feels like they're in the minority, like you and like me sometimes. Don't be intimidated by those who oppose Jesus. Jesus, the resurrected one, announced victory over them. It's a no-brainer who you should look to as the great Lord Christ. And it's not, you name them, throughout history. It's the resurrected, victorious one. Yes, I think what he's getting at. Rather simple. But rather important. If you, if you, if I were a betting man... um, if you, if you were going to, if you're going to, if you knew the outcome, but the underdog wins, and you were going to bet, you would be a fool to bet on the one who was supposed to win. You'd want to bet on the underdog. The way things look, from certain perspective to a lot of people, Jesus, lowly, meek, and mild, is the underdog. Resurrection, he's not the underdog, actually. He wins. You would be a fool not to trust in Jesus and to fear someone else to get you to not trust in Jesus. I think that's the rationale of what he's getting at. It's a no-brainer. Trust in Jesus because he's the resurrected one who proclaimed victory. So if we need to look at it again, in which, as resurrected one, verse 18, he went somewhere and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, those who had opposed him, because they formally did not obey. Jesus is the victor over them. Who's right in the long run? People, we, in our day, we say, you know, 
We want to be on the right side of history. Well, to use that, the right side of history is you trust in the resurrected one. Let's keep going. Verse 20 goes on to say, when God's patience, I wrote in my, between the lines, with those who did not obey, because we just learned about those who did not obey, God, God's patience with them waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, Genesis 6, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Probably multiple things going on here, but one thing I think that's going on is he goes way back in history where there's been opposition to God and His ways and His people to prove His point. And I think He uses them also because He names the number in which a few, they weren't the majority, they weren't the ones with the microphones influencing the masses in social media, wink, wink. That is eight persons. There weren't very many of them. Can you imagine? And I think he's using them on purpose because as you feel like you are ostracized, marginalized, whatever other kind of eyes you feel at the moment or time, and you're in the minority and, and I'm alone and this is really hard, it, that don't therefore conclude that you must be the wrong one. Very few in the days of Noah. In fact, only eight of them. But what happened to them? They looked like idiots. They were scolded. They were dogged. They were ridiculed. Look in our text. The very end of that verse. They were what? They were brought safely through water. God's judgment in the water brought safely. He's using salvation talk. They were delivered. They were saved. They took God at His word and they trusted in God and His promise and they were delivered even though they looked like idiots to those who were mocking them and around them, the disobedient ones. Again, in our context, I think that's the big idea of what he's trying to do. Be encouraged. Be encouraged even by that example. We know the outcome. We know how it turns out. All the more so, we're talking about trusting in God whose Son has been raised from the dead. Trust in Jesus. Suffer for righteousness' sake. It's worth it. Noah suffered for righteousness' sake. It was worth it. And I know that, by the way, to cross-reference reference just really, really quick to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, gives us some insight. says in 2.5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, then he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. I zeroed in on preserved Noah, a herald or a proclaimer of righteousness. In 1 Peter, you're suffering for righteousness. Noah was the preacher of righteousness, and he would have suffered as well. Dogging him, making fun of him, ridiculing him, mocking him. But it was worth it because we know through judgment they were saved and delivered. So, learn from that. Be encouraged by that. 
feel alone? Well, they would have felt relatively alone as well. Ready to move on? feel a little bit like a lecturer today, but I'm trying to be a lecturer-encourager. And I'm also trying to be a modeler to show you that we can see the forest and it really is helpful and serves a good purpose. Sometimes we, 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 let's move on. Sometimes we move on. Verse 21, still in the flow of things. Baptism, let's just read it and I'll, I'll go back and start inserting comments. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to Him. Now let's go back. This is great. How about verse 21? Baptism. Baptism is a sign. Baptism is a picture of something. Baptism. It symbolizes something. It pictures something. It pictures going into the grave, because you're united with Christ. Romans chapter 6 is where I would draw. And you you die with Christ, and you're raised with Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. You have Christ and all of His benefits. It's an awesome picture. It's a great, great picture of things, depiction of things, symbol of things, closely associated with being a Christian, because if you believe in Jesus, you're to be baptized showing that you belong to Him, picturing that you belong to Him. It's an awesome picture. It's a great text. It's greatly misused, but it's a great text. Baptism. Shorthand for being a Christian. Shorthand for being united to Christ. Because that's what it pictures. And I think that's how He's using it. Being a Christian, you've been baptized. Think about what it pictures. Shorthand for being a Christian. Baptism. United to Christ, that's what it pictures. Being united to Christ, if it helps you to be a little bit more comfortable, insert that synonym, what it pictures. Being united to Christ, being united to Christ, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Being united to Christ is what saves you. He's going to get to that. But before we go that far, baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponds. He used, and we'll get to this in a second, but he uses the word antitype. Type, picture, antitype, picture that's fulfilling. Okay? We talk about this all the time in the Old Testament because the the New Testament writers talk about there are types of Christ in the Old Testament. There are these pictures, but then Christ is the substance. Christ brings the fulfillment, and He's doing that here with Him. He uses the word, those of you who like me to drop Greek words so it makes you feel like you're smarter. Antitupone. Antitype. There it is. Baptism is a type. It's a corresponding type to this, this being the deliverance of the ark. This is fascinating. When you think about the ark as the deliverance mechanism through the waters of judgment, he's saying that pictured and anticipated as a type, the antitype baptism, union with Christ, He's the deliverer through the waters of judgment. Therefore, the ark is a type of Christ. 
God provides deliverance through judgment. Oh, God provides deliverance through judgment. Learn from those few back then who thought they were all alone and they were wondering whether or not the whole thing was good, bad, or whatever. And learn and be encouraged. They were in the minority. And you've got something even greater because it's fulfillment. It's the actualization. It's Jesus. That picture was anticipating an ultimate deliverance. This is cool stuff. Peter is reading his Old Testament that way. Not with a bunch of weird hidden meanings like it's an allegory and you can spin it and make it Aesop's fables and whatever you want it to mean. But with a sane mind, deliverance through judgment, waters, not to mention the fact that he's writing under inspiration, knowing that things would point to Christ ultimately, he's saying, antitype. Find encouragement from the antitype. Oh, but don't live with the encouragement from the antitype. The substance belongs to Christ. Keep trusting Him. Keep trusting Him. Keep trusting Him. Keep trusting Him. It's very cool stuff. Very, very cool stuff. Baptism, shorthand for being united to Christ because that's what it pictures. Now saves you. Delivers you. Christ delivers you. Now, just so we don't lose our minds and go and join the church of Christ, he explains what he doesn't mean. Okay? Keep going. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. I'm not talking about, I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the, the power in the sign itself. I'm talking about what it means, the significance of what it means. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you want to know where the power is, the power for the cleansing, the power for the spiritual actualization, the actual power is in the resurrection of Jesus. You would be a fool of all fools to think I was talking about the actual water. Because I go on to explain myself. The power for your eternal life is in the resurrection. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep trusting in Jesus. Keep trusting in Jesus. Because if if you've been united to Him by faith, shorthand, He uses the picture, baptism, you've been delivered like nobody's ever been delivered. The ultimate deliverance. And how could that happen? Raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. Which is the vindication, the proof that he did it right, that it worked, that atonement really happened, forgiveness really happened, the cross actually was powerful. How about verse 22 as we wrap this up? Who has gone into heaven... Mentally, I'm cross-referencing to verse 18. It already said, because of righteousness, He brings us to God. Christ brings us to God by faith. And Christ is where? He's gone into heaven already. He's already brought us to God. Even though we haven't breathed our last breath yet, it's an already not yet kind of reality. He, he brings us to God. 
And He's in heaven. So cross-reference verse 18. Don't forget verse 18 when you get to verse 22. I love that. Who's gone into heaven? Oh, the one who brings us to God has gone into heaven. That right there is worth the price of admission. And then it says, and is at the right hand of God, which is what kind of place? Prominence. Settled. Dominion. Who are you going to trust? The one who's at the right hand of God, settled dominion, power, and authority. We'd be crazy not to. With angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to Him. I think he's referring back to those he preached victory to. Any and all who have ever opposed me by my resurrection and by my ascension, I preached a sermon to you and it was a victory sermon. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm truly the son that the Father said I was. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. Or on the gracious side, I had every right to say to people, I know you're burdened. I know human-made religion is awful. I know it's wrecking everything. I'm paraphrasing Jesus, by the way. But now I'm going to quote him. Come to me. And I, Jesus, I, who in the world could ever say that? I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath. By being raised from the dead and ascending, seated at the right hand, He's the victor. And He's the one who, by doing so, has proclaimed victory over, I don't care if we're talking about angels, I don't care if we're talking about Caesars, I don't care if we're talking about you name it, they're all, as it says at the end of our text, they all are subjected to Him. Who are you going to trust in? I fear human beings so much. I want to be liked I want to be accepted. I want to be accepted by people I don't even know. I want to be accepted by people at the restaurant I go to today. I want them to think I'm nice. I want them to think I'm cool. I want them to think all kinds of things of me, and I I don't even know them. And then there's my family, and then there's my friends, and there's fellow professing Christians, and there's all these people I want to like me and accept me, not to mention the people who make laws that affect my life. But at the end of the day, I have to remember to sanctify Christ as Lord, right? I set Him apart in my thinking. I want to impress Him. I want to be devoted to Him because He's the one who has all and every single authority subjected to Him. And I know that He does because He and He alone is raised from the dead and ascended. Okay? So as you're having a hard time, and sometimes the hard times get to be harder times, And sometimes the harder times could be really, really, really hard times. We all have different lots in life. Remember the resurrected one. Remember Christ. He's worthy of you suffering for righteousness because He is the righteous and He's giving you His righteousness so you could be accepted by God. It doesn't get any better than that. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to, to, in a sense, just remember to take heart. To take heart as Christians that we have to remember Christ. May we be like the person who sings, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day.
Thank you for Jesus Christ, the fulfillment, Jesus Christ, the righteous, Jesus Christ, the ultimate deliverer. May we not lose sight of him no matter what happens in our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.